We're starting out the conference with Pastor Raul Rees. Uh, excited that he came down to join us and to share with us. And, you know, I've known Pastor Raul now. It's been 24 years I got saved under his ministry. And I, I remember the night that I got saved and just the Lord was, was speaking to me. Uh, I was heavily involved in, in drugs and, you know, just living the, the rebellious life against God. And that night, Raul pointed at me, I'm going to say 30 times. His finger in my face, you know, kind of thing where the Holy Spirit was just moving and, and I knew I was busted and that God had my number. And my prayer is, is that today God's got your number and uh, that God, God would just move in your hearts. Would you join me in welcoming Pastor Raul Reese as he shares with us? There it is. How you guys doing today? Awesome. Father, we come before you this morning once again. Lord, as we study your word, that you would give us wisdom and knowledge, Father. And Lord, that you would bring conviction to our hearts so that we can be better servants in the kingdom of God, Lord. Father, we pray that in these days, you would be the one to dominate our lives, Father, to rule over us, Lord. Father, we pray that we would submit to you. And Father, we pray for our loved ones and friends and for our nation. And Father, for the new presidency, Lord God, we pray, God, that we would vote as Christians, Lord God. We thank you now for these times, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. If you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, you know, one of the things about the book of Ephesians, I love about it, it's a book for the Christian. And one of the things that Paul does here is that the book was written to believers, not to non-believers. Ruth Paxton says this about the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians falls into three sections. Number one, the first three chapters is the wealth of the believer and that God has provided for the individual person in Jesus Christ. Secondly, chapter 4 through 1, chapter 4, 1 through 5, 9, it's the walk of the believer. And then chapter 6, verse 10 to chapter 6, 24, the end of the book, is the warfare of the believer. Watchman E describes the book of Ephesians like sitting, walking, and standing in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is used 42 times in the book of Ephesians, which is an amazing, amazing thing for the child of God to know. He starts it with chapter 1 to 3, recognizing what we are in Jesus Christ as believers. And now that you know your position in Christ, chapter 4 through 6, this is now how you're supposed to walk in Christ Jesus' behavior. When you look at the church today, Surely the book of Ephesians is needed very desperately. There's a story told about a woman. He says she was gone down in history as America's greatest, greatest miser. He says, quote, Yet when she died in 1916, Hedy Green left an estate valued over $100 million. She ate cold oatmeal because it cost it cost here to heat it. Her son had to suffer a leg amputation 
because she delayed so long in looking for a free clinic that his case became incurable. She was wealthy, yet she chose to live like a pauper. And it says, eccentric, certainly crazy perhaps, but nobody could prove it. She was so foolish that she hastened her own death by bringing on an attack of apexis while arguing about the value of drinking skim milk. But Henry, but Hattie Green is a truly an illustration of too many Christians today that believe in Jesus Christ. They have limitless wealth at their disposal, and yet they act like paupers. That is so true. It's incredible that as Christians we are so wealthy spiritually that we truly do not understand what God has given to us and what God has done in our lives. Our position is in Christ Jesus. It's important that we understand that it was this kind of a Christian that Paul the Apostle is writing to in the book of Ephesians. It is a prison letter. There are four prison letters that he gives to us, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and the book of Colossians. And he writes every one of those letters to the Christian. And by the way, 14 letters that Paul wrote are for the believer and his walk in how we're supposed to be behaving as Christians in the Lord in this generation and in this world. Very important. Dr. Pearson called Ephesians Paul's third heaven epistle. Another has called it the Alps of the New Testament. It is, the, it is the Mount Whitney of the high sierras of all Scripture, the book of Ephesians. Think how wealthy the book of Ephesians is for today and for each one of us individually. The book of Ephesians is written in two, for two reasons. Number one, to give new believers converted from a background of Judaism to a local religion. Magic, astrology, a positive grounding in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing to that culture. But look at the culture today. We have problems with drugs. We have problems with alcohol. We have problems with white or black magic. You know, witchy boards and all these things that are used today by people. And at the same time, they call themselves Christians. Yet Paul the Apostle helps and admonishes believers to cultivate a distinctly Christian lifestyle that Christ has given to us in the book of Ephesians and in the rest of the New Testament that is given to each one of us individually. Let's begin by looking at the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the introduction to the letter. Paul the Apostle begins by giving the author's name. And here Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Think of Paul, sometimes writes Paul a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ or a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul's name comes from the Greek name, means, or actually it means little one. His name was Saul, and then he became Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle not only was one of the great writers of our time in writing the book of Ephesians, but the 14 letters that he gave to us. 
And when you think of the, the, the title that he gives himself, an apostle, an apostle is one to be sent out. You become born again of the Holy Spirit. You become a disciple of Jesus Christ, one that is learning. And once you learn the Word of God and you get rooted and grounded in God's Word, then you're ready to be sent out and to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone that God brings in your way to share the truth about Jesus Christ. We are called according to the will of God. There is a permissive will of God and there is a perfect will of God. Which one do you want to be this morning in? If you want to be in God's perfect will, then you need to be obedient to what God says in His Word. But if you want to be in God's, and again, if you want to be in God's permissive will, and not His perfect will, then you will miss the blessings that God has in store for you as you submit your life to Jesus Christ fully and completely. God has such a work for each one of us individually. Paul is given to us here that personal authority. But he's also expressing a clear sense of the calling and the obligation that each one of us needs to have in Christ Jesus. Living by the will of God. He calls. Notice he calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And yet think about how many people today are walking in the flesh. The desires of the flesh that not only keep us back from the blessings of God, but it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. It is important to line yourself up with the perfect will of God so that you can know not only your calling, but you know your position that is in Christ Jesus, not outside of Christ. We have become born again of the Holy Spirit. And yet sometimes when you look at Christians, they seem not to be born again of the Holy Spirit just by the conduct that they live in this world. We are so blessed, you guys. In Christ Jesus, as God has given us so much, not only to know Him, but to do His perfect will. Notice secondly here the assembly that He's writing to. He says to the saints which are in Ephesus. You know, you're either, Dr. McGee used to say, you're either a saint or you're an ain't. That's just the bottom line. The word saint is a very interesting word, and the Greek is hagios. It means one that is set apart. Set apart to do God's will. I love that. A saint. And it has, it is not, it has nothing to do with a dead saint. It's a living saint. So from now on, you call me St. Raul when you see me. You're a saint too this morning. And it's, re- it's so cool how Paul started his letter. He says to the saints which are in Ephesus. He's writing to the congregation in Ephesus, which the word Ephesus means desired ones. Desired ones. He says, and to the faithful, notice the word in Christ Jesus. Forty-two times he will use that word. In Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now, let me say this, that as you look at the church of Ephesus, it was a very commercial city. I've been to Ephesus four times, and when I went to Ephesus, I was so blown away. I took my granddaughter the first time 
He was only like a year old. And he was incredible walking the streets of Ephesus and watching the streets, uh, the floors of marble and the pillars that used to be the one of the wealthiest city and watching this auditorium that is outside of the city where 20,000 people used to sit and watch as a theater. So Paul the Apostle was in a city where he spent about three and a half years ministering in the city of Ephesus. Secondly, this is a place also where Apollos had instructed 12 men according to the word of God, but a very limited instruction. When Paul the Apostle came to Ephesus in chapter 19 of the book of Acts, he says to these guys that are sitting there, hey, you guys, he says, who taught you the word of God? He says, we only have the teachings of John the Baptist. But Paul said to them, let me give you a little more of the word of God. And he did. He gave them the Holy Spirit. He taught them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. And those 12 men were never the same ever again. Think how Paul the Apostle not only was a teacher, but a great evangelist also at the same time. It was also a place where Diana the goddess was worshipped. The God of sex. And think how even today in America, you know, now that we have so much liberty with cable TV, computers, and all these things that we can go into a store and buy adult books or adult movies. I think of how many people in the city of Ephesus must have been hooked to the lust of the flesh, destroying their marriages, and going ahead and on their way to hell. And when Paul came to the city of Ephesus, like the church today, and you begin to preach about righteousness, you begin to preach about repentance. And yet we can do that outside of the church. But think of how many saints today are living a lifestyle just like the Greeks in Ephesus. A life of adultery. A life of pornography. A life of fornication without being married and, you know, going out and having sex with anybody you want. And it's really important, you guys, that in these last days we understand that God not only is working, but God is crying out. And I really believe with all my heart that the reason that we haven't seen a revival is because the church is living a life of carnality. And unless the church repents, we will never, ever see a revival in the church. It starts out with one person, not 50,000 people, one person. Last days, think how important it is for us to be in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, which really just blew me away. He says, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Are you faithful or are you unfaithful to the Lord? He is faithful, and yet we are unfaithful. The word faithful here is pestus in the Greek. It means faithful or believing. Do we really, really believe what we've been taught? And if we really believe what we've been taught, then the result is going to be obedience of life. Remember in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel, when Saul was raised up to be the next king, it really wasn't God's choice. 
It was men's choice. Because when Samuel came to the people of God, and he began to not only stand before them, they were murmuring and complaining for them to get a king like the rest of the nations in the world. And Samuel got offended. And he went back to God, and God said to Samuel, hey, don't be offended. They're not rejecting you, but they're rejecting me. I want you to go back to them, and I will show you, and I will show them what manner of a king I'm going to give to them. And he gave them King Saul. And if you remember when King Saul was elected to be king of Israel, when they came to annoy him, when Samuel came to annoy him, they couldn't find him. The first sign of a weak king. And then as he was anointed and began to be king, God gave him a mission. And God said to King Saul, the first thing that I want you to do is I want you to go and go and kill every one of the Amalekites. Men, women, children, and all their flocks. And Saul got an army together. He went down to the Amalekite camp. And when he got there, he started destroying, but what he did is he spared the women, he spared the children, and he spared the best of the flocks. And then on his way back, Samuel came to talk to him, and he heard, and, and as he was coming, approaching Saul, Saul said, hey, how are you doing, Samuel? Blessed be of the Lord. And Samuel rejected him, and Samuel rebuked him. And said, what is that that I hear, the bleeding of the sheep behind you? And immediately the sign of a weak king and a sign of a weak person, he blamed it on the people. He didn't take responsibility for what he did. How about you? Do you blame people for who you are? and For the things that you do? Instead of taking full responsibility for what God has called you to be? And when he made the excuse, Samuel went to him. And said, you have disobeyed God. It is better to obey than what? Than to, to sacrifice to the Lord. It's like the sin of witchcraft. And as he started walking away from Saul, Saul reached out to grab him. And he ripped his throat. He actually ripped his robe. And he says, from now on, Saul, you should have done that. The kingdom has been ripped from you completely. Because from that point on, his life went downhill. And then when God didn't speak to him any longer, in chapter 28 of the book of 1 Samuel, he went to the witch of Endor. To the witch of Endor. Where God in his word had said to put every person that was in witchcraft or any person that dealt with a cult, they were to put to death. But he went to the witch of Endor because God wasn't speaking to him. And when he came to the witch of Endor, he said to her, I want you to bring up Saul, Samuel from the grave. She didn't recognize it was the king, Saul. So she started doing her thing, but God allowed Samuel to come up from the dead and only to rebuke Saul and to say to him, tomorrow you and your sons will die and you'll be down here in hell or the grave. Imagine that. God judging Saul for what he did. And I think of today how many men in the church are not really faithful to what God has called us to be, faithfulness in the Lord. 
so that God can bless us completely and fully in his word and in everything that we have to do with him. And then he brings in this beautiful thing. He says, grace. Grace, which is not only a Greek salutation, but the grace of God is by what we are saved. The unmerited favor, we deserve hell, and yet God has given us heaven. Why? Because we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that we can walk in obedience to his word. And we can become not only faithful to his word, but we can become soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ. By the grace of God that is given to each one of us individually. It is the Greek salutation. And then he adds the actual Hebrew salutation, which is shalom, peace be unto you. The peace of God that passes all understanding. I really feel that in the church today, a lot of people don't have the peace of God. You cannot have peace before grace. The grace of God is the first thing that you need to experience in your life. If you don't experience the grace of God, then you'll never, ever have the peace of God in your life. Ever. And the peace of God can only come as you repent of your sins, as you acknowledge and admit that you have sinned against God, and as you humble yourself before the presence of God and you become born again of the Holy Spirit, then the grace of God becomes active in my life. It is by grace and not by works, lest any man should boast. If we had salvation and it was by works, we all would have bragging sessions. It is by faith in Jesus Christ that we have been saved. And all I can brag about is because of him, what he's done in my life. Nobody else. He's the one that has taken us from the pit of hell and has cleansed us and washed us from everything that we ever did and he's cast our sins as far as from the east to the west. And notice, and, and he's buried them in the deepest part of the ocean. And he never, ever again remembers them ever again. And Paul says in Romans 8, 1, Therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, get this, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Holy Spirit. That's the key. If you're walking in the flesh, then you're going to be condemned. Condemnation is not of God. Condemnation is of the devil. The Holy Spirit speaks to us because we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the little t-shirt, it is where we find redemption, where we find peace with God, where we find forgiveness of our sins. And so here Paul, as he's given the introduction, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and at the same time, grace and peace be multiplied unto you, unto each one of us individually. Notice verses 3 to 6. God the Father's plan for the church. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Wow. We are wealthy. Maybe not financially. But spiritually, shoot, I'm a billionaire. More than Howard Hughes ever had. More than any millionaire in this world or billionaire. 
It's really important that we understand that the blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice who is the one that gives us these benefits. Who has blessed us with every, notice, not financial, not carnal, not physical, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the source of our blessing, we see in chapter verse. Uh, verse 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, 8, that the expression of praise introduces not only one of the most sublime passages of Scripture, but sometimes it is called the gateway of praise. The gateway of praise. We should always praise God for already what He's done, what He's doing, and what He's going to do. Past, present, and future. We are so Blessed by the Lord. And then the scope of our blessing in chapter 1, verse 3, the second part, who has blessed us with all, underline the word all, all blessings. Notice all spiritual blessings that God has given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word here, blessings, speaks of a spiritual blessing in one belonging to the activity of the Holy Spirit in my life. Is I don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but I allow the Holy Spirit to move and to work in my life and through my life, fully and completely. Thirdly, the sphere of our blessing, chapter 1, verse 3, the last part, in the heavenly places, again, in Christ. Notice that? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Our position is not outside of Christ. Our position is in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful position God has given to each one of us individually as believers. The phrase here, in particular in Ephesians, being used five times in the epistle, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is speaking of heaven where Jesus sits, at the right hand of the Father. At the right hand of the Father. Where when Stephen was killed, remember, by the Jews, Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, stood up to receive Stephen into heaven. The next time Jesus stands up, is getting ready to come for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he's not coming as a Savior. He's coming as a judge. To judge the world. So it's really important for me to enjoy not only Jesus Christ, but that I sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then notice in verses 4 through 6, the blessings from God the Father, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. I love that. Notice, He chose me. I didn't choose Him. He chose me, and then He gave me the actual, notice, the actual will to go ahead and say, Lord, I repent of my sins. And I want to choose you as my Lord and my Savior. He has known us from the foundations of the world. Before we were ever born, He knew us. Why? Because He's God. He's the one that chooses. Not few, but He chooses everyone. He says, for God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not a Calvinist. He's not an Armenian. He is God of gods and King of kings and He gives everyone an opportunity because of His grace and His love and His mercy because the key is abiding in Jesus Christ. 
abiding in his love, abiding in his grace, abiding in his mercies. And check this out. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Think of how many of our lives are not blameless. Blameless. And the only way that I can become blameless is submitting my life to him and continue to walk a life of faith but walk a life of obedience in Christ Jesus so that I can have and experience his love. His love for me. His love for others as I share God's love with other people. And then here's a second word. He has, he just having predestinated us into adopting us as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. We have been predestinated, notice predestination, and at the same time, what else? Adoption. I've been adopted as a son of God and as daughters of God by Jesus Christ himself. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us acceptable in the beloved. In the beloved. So he chose us. He adopted us. He accepted us. And now he gives you the responsibility to be obedient to his perfect will. Why? Because he loves you. He cares for you. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And when you think about the blessings and the riches of being a child of God, imagine how many people in the body of Christ are depressed and oppressed, and they think that they don't have any power, and yet we have all the power that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And the reason that people feel like they don't have any power is because they walk in the flesh and not in the Spirit of God. Carnality keeps you and agrees the Holy Spirit of God. Sin, missing the mark. And then transgression is willfully knowing what's right and wrong. I rebel against God and I do that which does not please God, but it brings me into bondage and sin and it condemns me. So important to understand what God has done for us. He's done it all already. He just wants us to, by faith, obey and walk close to the heart of Jesus Christ. And then check this out. Verse 7 to 12. God the Son paid the price for the church and for our sins. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. Imagine how incredible the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they used to kill lambs and goats and turtle doves and pigeons. And they would bleed the animal and then sprinkle the altar. And then imagine how they used to come to the altar and it was only a covering of your sin. Covering of your sin. And then imagine when Jesus Christ came, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all washes away all of my sins. And he makes me white as snow. He's the only one that can forgive our sins. Imagine that. It's awesome how God does that. It's cool. And it's cool because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And we receive forgiveness of sins. And then he says, why? According to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us, in all wisdom and prudence. Notice what he's saying here to the church, 
to you and I. Having made known, notice, having made known to us the mystery of His will, the mystery of salvation, the mystery of repentance, the mystery of eternal life that we can have in Jesus Christ. And then also, notice He says there, not only the mystery, He says, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things, there's the word again, in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. Everything is in him. Everything is according to him. He is the only one that can do that. There is no salvation in any other name but the name of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 11, In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Notice. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to what? According to the counsel of his will. Notice how many times he's used his will. According to His will, not according to my will. His will is that I submit, I surrender, and I follow Him and obey Him. That's the perfect will of God. That He, notice, that we who first trusted in Christ Jesus should be to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. So number one, He has redeemed us and forgiven us. In verse 7. Secondly, He has revealed God's will to each one of us individually. Verses 8 through 10. And then in verses 11 through 12, He has made us an inheritance for His glory. For His glory, not for your glory or my glory. And then notice in verses 13 through 14, God the Holy Spirit protecting the church. And in Him also, and also you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. So when we heard the word of God, we trusted in Him. The gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed. Notice what happens. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicted us. The Holy Spirit is the one that brought us to repentance. The Holy Spirit is the one that even today lives in our hearts. And if we live a life of sin, Paul says also that we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And the word grieve in the Greek means to bring pain to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He has personality. He's a person. He has a mind. He has feelings. The Holy Spirit dwells in every child of God. Every child of God. And the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 7 through 11 says that He's come to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in Him. And of righteousness because by faith we believe in Him. And of judgment because the prince of this world, Satan, already has been judged. Already has been judged. 
And then Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, and he says, and these are the works of the flesh, but you have been what? You have been saved. You have been redeemed. And notice he says, this is all that you have been. All is past, present now. This is who you are now in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit speaking in our lives. And check this out. He says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So number one, he sealed us. Number two, he gave us an earnest. And so if these things are true in the word of God, then what kind of people should we be as Christians in knowing one thing, that he loves me, and he called me to be his disciple and to be sent out to be a man of God. A man of God for each one of our lives. I don't know where you are spiritually this morning, because I'm not God. But I'm so happy that you have come here. And I pray and hope that when you come here this morning, and when you get ready to depart after the conference, that you would not be the same person. That you would be a different kind of person. The one that Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ Jesus, there's a word again, in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation, and all things are passed away, and behold, all things have become brand new. That's the heart of God, and that should be our heart and our desire to know him and the power of his resurrection, fully and completely. Notice lastly here, verses 15 to 23, the prayer for the knowledge of power. Paul gives us one of the amazing prayers in the book of Ephesians. He starts out saying, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, he takes you back to what he just said, going backwards. This is what I said, and this is now what I'm telling you. He says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. So here he reminds him in his prayer that he had heard of their faith in Christ and the love that God put in their hearts for other people, for other Christians. Have you noticed how much hate is in the church? And people use the excuse, oh, well, you really, you know, you really don't know them. Well, God knows them. The problem in the church today is that we keep our eyes on people instead of getting our eyes on the Lord. If I would have kept my eyes on people, I would not be in this pulpit today. I would be bitter. And I would have killed a few people for sure. Because <laughs> they disappointed me. And then how many times you have somebody that irritates you like sandpaper there was a guy that really irritated me and i'm telling you before god i wanted to do him in and i went to pastor chuck and I said, pastor chuck this guy here man really i have so much hate for him and i'm getting to the point my wife told me to get to the point that you know what i could really commit murder and chuck told me this he says you can either become a better person or you can become a worse person you can leave this room forgiving and put it on the cross of Jesus Christ on the altar and allow God to work in this person and to work in your heart and then you can experience the peace of God. And you know what? He was right. He was right. And maybe you came this morning here. 
Maybe you came here this morning with a lot of hate. And if you're married, maybe you don't get along with your wife and maybe you hate your wife. You hate your employees or you hate your employer. Or you hate brothers in the church. And if you have that kind of a attitude and those kind of feelings, not only are you wrong, but you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God and you can't get forward. You're going backwards. You need to go forward in Christ Jesus as you come to the throne of God and ask for forgiveness. And keeping our eyes on Him and not on other people. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit of God to bring conviction to our hearts. Then he says this, verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. So if Paul prayed for the church, how much more you and I need to pray for the saints, for the saints that God has given to us. Verse 17 says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father, of, the Father of glory may be a young, understanding being in the light, that you may know how what is in the hope of his name, of having what are the truth, the reports, or the riches, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in a sense. And who is the exceeding greatness of his purpose? Today, us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, with his work in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated, seated him at him right along or hand with the presence place, for above all principality and power and power and might and dominion and every name that is come, not only in the age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head among or over all things to the church, which is holy, notice, which is body, he fullness of him who fills all in all. The Lord Jesus Christ coming to us and asking each one of us individually as he prays. And as we pray and as we come into the presence of God, it's something that he leads us, he guides us, he teaches us so that we can become true little children in the flame of God. God has called you. Chapter 1 of Ephesians is the beginning of what God intends to do and what we've done and what he wants us to do. As we come like Paul the Apostle, becoming a will of God, becoming an apostle, and knowing and standing by the grace of God that he's given to me and receiving the peace of God that pieces all understanding in Jesus Christ. There is no other way but only in Christ Jesus, the only one that can save us and forgive us. And he is the one that gives us life eternal so that we can love him and we can look to him in everything that we ever do. Father, we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to move in us, to work in us and through us, God. Lord, I pray for your people. And Lord, I pray for the next speakers, Lord God. Lord, that you would speak mightily and powerfully, Lord God. Lord, we pray for anyone that is visiting here with us, God. If there's anybody here, before we start with the next study, somebody invited you to come. You're not a Christian. And if you want to repent this morning so that you can understand God's word, and you want God to feed you by his word, and you want to get clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, and ask him to come into your heart to become your Lord and your Savior. Your Savior. Your Savior.